The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help! I need somebody! Help! Not just anybody! Help! You know I need someone! Help! Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to episode 311 of Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. I'm a physician retired from medical practice. Our topic today is when and why genetic counseling is essential. And I'm going to use, or we're going to use breast cancer and heredity as an example to introduce our topic. Breast cancer is a common disease in North America where each year some 220,000 women are diagnosed with it. That's every year. And where 11% of women will develop it in their lifetimes. Hereditary breast cancer, which is caused by genes passed from parents to children, is estimated to account for somewhere between 5 and 27% of all breast cancers. Now, the first gene associated with breast cancer, which is called BRCA1, where BR stands for breast and CA stands for cancer, and the one means first, was identified in 1994. And shortly after, a second gene, BRCA2, was discovered. Children of parents with the BRCA1 or BRCA2 gene have a 50% chance of inheriting it. And when individuals carry a form of either BRCA1 or BRCA2, they have an increased risk of developing breast cancer at some point in their lives. But not all hereditary breast cancers are caused by BRCA1 or BRCA2. Researchers now believe that at least 50% of hereditary breast cancers are not, not, linked the genes BRCA1 and BRCA2, but instead are caused by or linked to many different genes, each accounting for a small percentage of breast cancers. Now, put that differently, what it boils down to is there's very much uncertainty about the heredity of breast cancer, which is why our topic, when and why genetic counseling is essential, is so, so important. To discuss it, our guest is Dr. Janine Austin. Janine is an associate professor at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver, Canada, a research scientist at the BC Mental Health and Addictions Institute, and graduate advisor for the university's genetic counseling program. She holds the Canada Research Chair in Translational Psychiatric Genomics. She 
completed her PhD in neuropsychiatric genetics at the University of Wales College of Medicine in Cardiff, UK, and she completed her clinical training as a genetic counsellor at the University of British Columbia. She's a board-certified genetic counsellor, and in 2012, she founded the world's first first specialist psychiatric genetic counselling service of its kind in Vancouver, Canada. And over the last 10 years, she's held various leadership roles within the National Society of Genetic Counselors, the largest professional organization for genetic counselors in the world. So welcome to the show, Janine. Thank you very much, Gordon. It's a huge pleasure to be with you again today. Terrific. Now, Janine, first question for you. Please just tell us a little bit more about your career and about any experience you have with family caregiving. Oh, for sure. Okay. Um, well, my career, um, so you heard a little bit about that, I suppose, um, from the bio that you just provided. But um, I did, so I did my PhD in the UK. I was studying human genetics, trying to find variations that make people more vulnerable to developing psychiatric disorders. Um, and though I felt like that was uh, really important work, I realized quite quickly that, um, you know, sitting in a lab all day with just my pipettes and my test tubes for company wasn't really for me, that I wanted to be helping people more directly. Um, I wanted to be talking with people uh, about the causes of their illnesses, about things that the researchers were discovering about the causes of the conditions that they had um, because I really wanted to, yeah, I, I guess I, I wanted to try and find a way to help people really. So I decided to train as a genetic counsellor and that's really what brought me to North America. Um, so I completed my master's degree in genetic counselling in 2003 and so since then, um, Wow, it's actually 11 years ago now. So since then, I've been a researcher at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver, um, where I've been researching the effects of genetic counselling um, and trying to help train genetic counselling students. And as you said, I'm really involved with the National Society of Genetic Counsellors and um, really find my work there very meaningful. Um, and as far as you asked about experiences with family caregiving, um, well, I suppose in that sense, I've been... I've been working with individuals who act as the primary caregivers for their loved ones um, for, you know, for the last 10 years. So I've really seen up close the difficulties associated with that kind of role. Yeah. Right. Now, I take from what you've just been saying that the people aspect of the work that interests you so much is, is the genetic counseling work mm -hmm. that you're involved with. So please tell us about your work in genetic counseling. Oh, I'd love to. Thank you. Um, yeah, so for the last 10 years, I've, I've been applying genetic counselling to and, um, and researching the effects of, I suppose, genetic counselling in the context of psychiatric disorders. And so by psychiatric disorders, I mean things like um, schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, depression, so on. Um, so these are really common conditions. Um, so schizophrenia affects about 1% of the population and depression is even more common. Uh, about 10% of men and about 20% of women will experience depression in their lifetime. Um, and amongst families with these kinds of conditions, uh, there's a really huge amount of misunderstanding about what causes these illnesses. People feel really guilty a lot of the time. Um, someone with schizophrenia, for example, might feel like it's their fault that they have the illness that they do because they smoked too much cannabis when they were young. And um, so they see it as their fault as having that they have the illness. Um, you know, parents of people that have mental illnesses, on the other hand, um, you know, so parents of children with ADHD or 
autism or whatever, you name it, um, often feel guilty because they worry that they were somehow responsible for causing their child's condition themselves, either by being you know, bad parents, if you like, quote unquote, bad parents, or by passing on bad genes or something. Um, so I've been doing research to see if genetic counseling can help people who have these conditions and their family members. Um, and our studies have shown that genetic counseling can help people um, in things like better understanding what causes the illness that they have. It can help with help people to develop a more accurate understanding and perception of what the chance is for other members of the family to develop the same condition. And we've also shown that um, genetic counseling can really empower people. And um, so that means that, you know, when they've had genetic counseling, people leave feeling more hopeful and more in control of their, you know, health destiny, I suppose, after they leave. Um, and that there are things that they can do to take care of themselves. And so um, I, I guess I find that really, really meaningful and, and gratifying thing to, to do. Yeah. Now, just to follow up on that question, basically asking you for more about the answer you've just given. Mm -hmm. um, and it's this. Please explain more to us, for yeah. us, about the purposes and applications of genetic counselling. Um, as I say, you've said a good deal about that already, but I want you to go into more detail about sure. purposes and applications. Absolutely. No, and, and I really appreciate the opportunity to do so, actually, Gordon, because um, we, this is really important piece of thing to cover in depth, actually, because we know that lots of people have not heard of genetic counselling at all, um, and that when people have heard about it, there's some misconceptions about what it involves. And that's really too bad, because there are many people out there who would perhaps be able to benefit from genetic counselling if they knew it existed, and um, if they understood that it could be relevant to them. So, so I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Um, also, so, so basically, we know that the first associations that people make when they hear the term genetic counselling for the first time are about pregnancy, and perhaps it conjures up images of people being advised whether or not to have children. Um, another common idea about genetic counselling is that it's a, a term that just describes an activity, like a conversation that you might have with any kind of healthcare provider, I suppose, um, as long as that conversation is about genetic testing or what the chances are for other members of your family to develop a condition that somebody else in the family already has. Whereas... In fact, um, genetic counselling, the kind of thing I'm talking about, is actually a specialist health discipline in its own right. Um, so just like you get people who specialise in occupational therapy or physical therapy or so, things like that, um, there is a master's degree training programmes in genetic counselling. And so genetic counsellors um, receive that specialised training. It usually takes about two years. And they're board certified um, in the specific activity of genetic counselling, which is really all about helping people people to understand and adapt to what we know from research about the cause of illness in their family. So it's not just about providing information. Genetic counsellors really provide emotional support and counselling related to helping people understand the cause of illness too. And that's really important um, because we know that learning that there can be, that there's a genetic contribution to an illness in a family can provoke reactions like um, fear of being doomed or an illness being predestined. Things like blame and guilt when people recognize that a genetic condition was passed from one side of the family, perhaps. And so genetic counselors then, they, they don't just provide information about this stuff. They also help you manage the emotional impact of that information. 
Um, so, oh, and I guess just as a as a side note, you know, because I was saying we know from the research that we've done that lots of people think of genetic counselling as being conversations where people are advised whether or not to have children. Um, actually, genetic counsellors that have received the specialist training I've been talking about value individual autonomy very, very highly. And so what I mean by that is that we, we value people making their own decisions for themselves. And so if people want to talk with a genetic counsellor about what their chances are for children to develop a particular condition, we'll help them to understand what the chances are and help them figure out what the chance means to them, how that affects what they want to do and so on. But a genetic counsellor will never tell you not to have children. We'll support you in making an informed decision of your own. Um, so yeah, so I guess in, really the purpose of genetic counselling is to help people understand and adapt to the condition that they have or that's running in their family. And it has a really broad set of applications. Of course, there's the pregnancy applications like helping people to understand the chances for their children to have a condition like Down syndrome and what that means for them. But there are plenty of applications outside pregnancy situations too, like helping people to decide if they want um, to know if they carry a genetic difference that causes Huntington's disease, for example. Um, or to simply help people better understand what the causes are of the illness that they have, like mental illness, helping them to see it's not their fault. And uh, you opened the show, Gordon, by talking about cancer. And, of course, genetic counselling has, has some really useful applications there that I'm sure we'll probably get into. I think we will, yeah. <laughs> now, just one thing of the many things you said, I just wanted to sort of put back to you uh, by way of summary. Genetic counselling is a healthcare discipline. It's a healthcare profession or uh, a type of profession. And therefore, it's concerned about the individual. Uh, and information is part of what you do in genetic counselling. But really, what it is, is supporting people who are facing particular challenges associated with genetics, genetic history, and that kind of thing. Absolutely uh, I'm not going to ask you whether I'm right or wrong because you're going to get that opportunity later on. But that's the message I got. Now, we're at the time where we have to take the break. So we'll do that now. This is Dr. Gordon Adley. My guest is Dr. Janine Austin. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio. Please stay with us. We will be back. What does creme de la creme mean? It's the greatness of living, the willingness to be the best. It's living beyond what you know is possible with no limitation. Access Consciousness presents Creme de la Creme, a program that empowers you to choose and create the life you would like to have and entices you into being who you are, not who others would have you be. It's the best of the best. It's the finer things in life. It's brilliant. It's fun. It's exciting. Join us for Creme de la Creme every Tuesday at 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. What would you do if you knew that you could not fail? The Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Vasily is a radio forum for some of the world's most influential people in the fields of health, wellness, and human potential. Dr. Pat brings together and introduces visionary scientists and futurists, environmentalists, educators, business leaders, inventors, filmmakers, authors, artists, mystics, and healers who inspire and support individual and collective growth and positive cultural shifts. This award-winning radio show empowers the listening community to be the change they want to see in the world. 
Tune in to the Voice America Empowerment Channel every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern for the Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Vasily. Radio to thrive by. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at familycaregiversunite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week, Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Dr. Janine Austin. Our topic is when and why genetic counseling is essential. So let's start by using a strong family history of breast cancer as an example of worrisome family history that creates challenges for individuals, families and future generations. So Janine, please highlight for us the challenges that are created for the individuals who are the first in the family to learn that they have inherited a breast cancer gene. Mm. Janine? Yeah, thanks, Gordon. Yeah, absolutely, because this is a really important and timely conversation, actually, to be having now, Um, especially given Angelina Jolie's decision to go public about her experience with having um, a bilateral mastectomy as a way of reducing her chance um, for the way of reducing her chance for breast cancer. Um, So she just made that decision and went public about it last year in 2013. So since then, since she did that, um, we've really been noticing an increase in the number of people seeking out genetic testing to find out whether or not they've inherited a gene that can increase risk for breast cancer. Um, It's been referred to as the Angelina Jolie effect, in fact. Um, So the professional organization for genetic counselors, to which I belong, the, the National Society of Genetic Counselors, noticed that on the day her news came out, the traffic to our website, where we have a tool called Find a Genetic Counselor, the the traffic to that website jumped by nearly 90%. Um, So it really did have a profound impact, I think, on people's awareness. So so I think the question that you're asking today, Gordon, is really very timely indeed. So basically, women like Angelina Jolie, who have inherited a harmful mutation, and you were talking at the, the top of the show about BRCA1 and BRCA2 genes, Um, And and that's exactly what Angelina Jolie has. Um, So women like her can have greatly increased chances of developing breast and ovarian cancer, actually. And so for people who have a harmful mutation in one of these genes, there's actually about a 40 to 85% chance for developing breast cancer and up to about a 60% chance for developing ovarian cancer. And that's by the age of 70. So um, just just to give you a sense of perspective on that, um, the risk for breast cancer in the general population of women is about 12%. So when women learn that they have a mutation in one of these genes, all sorts, you you can imagine, all sorts of potential challenges come up. There are big decisions to make. Um, Women can choose um, to have an oophorectomy, that's having your ovaries removed, or to have a mastectomy, so removing your breasts as Angelina Jolie chose to do, or doing both of those things, or or doing neither. Um, So removing the ovaries is an option that women have because it will reduce your risk of ovarian cancer by, by a huge amount, by up to about 90%. 
So, so it doesn't it doesn't eradicate the risk altogether because um, there's still a small chance based on the amount of estrogen and progesterone that's still circulating in your body. Um, but it will also reduce your heightened risk of breast cancer by about half. So, so it's really it, it can be very protective against cancer. But on the downside, of course, removing the ovaries will put you directly into menopause, no matter how old you are. And so, if you're a, if you're a young woman that's not yet had a family, for example, um, then this can throw up some really difficult and um, time-sensitive issues for you. Um, and then in terms of um, mastectomy, so removing breasts, that can reduce your chances of developing breast cancer, again, by up to about 90%. Um, but that doesn't reduce, reduce your chances of developing ovarian cancer. And ovarian cancer is actually notoriously difficult to detect through screening strategies. Um, so because there's a significant breast cancer risk still remains when the ovaries removed, when, when you have your ovaries removed, many women will actually opt to have both surgeries to have that mastectomy as well as the oophorectomy, so the ovary removal. Um, but these are really big deal decisions. We're talking about surgeries. And so um, for those who don't wish to have such radical surgeries, then there's the option of just screening, basically, increased screening. So things like annual mammograms and breast MRIs and exams with a specialist twice a year. Um, but it's not easy because, um, you know, having an MRI, they're very, very sensitive. Um, so any little tiny difference that you can see on that um, would be treated very aggressively. So it might lead to more biopsies. Um, they're not as specific as mammograms, I suppose, but it's still a surgery, surgery-free option um, that doesn't have this early-onset menopause thing. Um, so, yeah, there are surgery-related challenges that having one of the breast cancer genes presents, but there are other challenges too. Um, so as I touched on earlier, you know, just about what to do if you've not yet had children and how, how and when to discuss this kind of thing with your children if you've already had them um, and with other family members because, of course, you know, if, I, if one member of a family finds out that they have one of these gene mutations, then it, it can have repercussions for other family members. So, so, yeah, it can really be a very tough experience that's full of challenges. Yeah. The word challenge, I think, is right, isn't it? Mm. That is to say, what you've just described um, is a heavy, heavy burden mm-hmm. on an individual to face because the individual, the woman, has to face these decisions and challenges. And so, therefore, the genetic counseling that you're doing is to enable them, so to speak, to size up the risk, mm-hmm. to figure out what the options are, and then make the decision. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I think that's, cor- that's a correct interpretation of what you said, is it? Beautifully stated, yes. Thank you. Now, another one. Please highlight for us the challenges that are created for the sisters, mothers and aunts of someone who has learned that they have a breast cancer gene and who may themselves have already developed breast cancer or who may be at risk of developing it. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not sure that's entirely clear the way I put that, but what I'm asking about mm-hmm. is the challenges for the, rel- the yeah. female relatives that are close when of to someone who's learned that they have a breast cancer gene, who may themselves already have developed breast cancer, or who somebody, they themselves or somebody, has advised them that they're at risk of developing. Yeah. 
Yeah, okay. Yeah, so so it's a really important and useful question. I mean, um, really the challenges in this situation are around what do you do with that knowledge? What do you do with that knowledge that your family member has just found out that they have this genetic mutation? Because obviously it means that there's a chance that you might have it too. So the challenge is really around whether or not you want to find out for sure for yourself. And um, and so actually these challenges exist for anyone who's experienced um, for experienced breast cancer, regardless of whether or not they've actually had um, whether or not the, or the relative um, has had a BRCA mutation detected. So perhaps the relative has passed away already, for example. But now somebody out there who's listening today might have read about the Angelina Jolie story and be really worried. Um, so I think it's really important just for a second just to go back to say that just because someone's had breast cancer, as you said in the intro, Gordon, so true, um, just because somebody's had breast cancer does not mean that they have a BRCA mutation. Um, in fact, only 5 to 10% of breast cancers are hereditary, and the implications for how to proceed, like whether or not to have a mastectomy, might be very different if there is no BRCA mutation. But um, So one of the things that we're seeing with the Angelina Jolie effect is that some women who learn about her story might, might rush in for genetic testing, even though perhaps they're not at risk, while others, um, you know, fearing that mastectomy would be the only option if they should test positive for one of these genetic mutations, they might become frightened and, and avoid any, any ideas, anything about testing altogether. Um, so actually, there's a, there's a really good way to try and figure out if, you're, if, if BRCA genetic testing would be appropriate for you. There's, there's three really simple questions um, to ask yourself. And the first one is, um, have, have you, um, has there been two or more cases of breast or ovarian cancer in close relatives, especially if one had a diagnosis before the age of 50 or had cancer in both breasts? Second question is, if somebody in your family had a breast cancer diagnosis before the age of 50 or ovarian cancer diagnosed at any age, or of course, if we know that somebody in the family already has a BRCA1 or 2 gene mutation, then, you know, if you answer yes to any of those three questions, basically my, my encouragement to anybody listening today would be, then I would suggest that seeing a genetic counselor might be a really good idea. A genetic counselor can help you with those really complex challenges of trying to make a decision about whether or not to have testing. Um, because it's complex, you know, people could be worried about how they'd react emotionally to knowing that they did in fact have the BRCA gene mutation. Perhaps they'd rather not know because they would feel that they'd be too anxious, unable to cope well with this knowledge. Um, perhaps they'd feel worried about how the testing re results would affect their medical insurance. Um, perhaps they want testing because they're hoping that it will show they don't have the mutation, which they can use to reassure their own children. Um, so really, the idea of this testing opens up all sorts of tricky issues, which can be really challenging for family members of somebody who's had one of these gene mutations detected. Um, some people really do see knowledge as power, whereas for others, you know, it's these old adages, right, but they're so true. Um, so for some, knowledge is power. For others, it's more the idea that, you know, ignorance is bliss. And so we're, we're trying to help people navigate this, this difficult territory that, that that comes along when somebody in the family has, has had a genetic test and you're trying to figure out what to do with that information for yourself. Do you find that you have to deal with situations where within a family there's <laughs> reluctance to talk about these things, although everybody is aware of them or to some degree aware of them. Nevertheless, there's a reluctance to, so to speak, sit around a table and talk and discuss. Do you come across that? And if you do, how do you deal with it? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that that is something that comes up. I mean, these are very frightening things to, to talk about and to have to think about. And, and so the natural reaction that some of us as human beings have is, is to want to avoid that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, um, a genetic counsellor is ideally placed to help um, a family to, um, you know, so if we're interacting with one person in the family who's just had a genetic test result which shows that they have a BRCA mutation, for example, then the genetic counsellor can actually really act as a resource for that individual um, to help them figure out how they might try and talk about this stuff with their with their family members. So we, we do in actively engage in that, you know, problem-solving, strategizing about how to how to have these conversations with family members that for whom this information might be really important yeah just to introduce the the male perspective in all of this yeah. um and i'm just wanting to know how far do you encourage discussion of the family to involve the males the mm -hmm. the, the men the brothers the sons yeah what, yeah. what, what do you think about that Oh, um, so I'm delighted that you asked because it's actually a really critical piece of things and I'd intended to bring it up myself and forgotten. So thank you. Um, yeah, so so um, I think because the gene is called BRCA and it's related to breast cancer, we tend to think of it as only having implications for female members of the family. And, you know, it's certainly true that um, the biggest implications of, of that particular genetic mutation might be for women. Um, but, but there are implications for men as well. So this is not, this is a gene, um, gene mutation that men can also have and men do have breast tissue. They just have less of it than women. And so it is possible for men to, to be diagnosed with breast cancer, although it's very uncommon. And of course, men can um, pass on this particular genetic mutation onto their, their own children. So if they, have, if they have daughters, then it can be passed on that way. So absolutely, in, in, engaging all of the members in the family in, in, in this discussion um, is really important. So, so thank you so much, Gordon, for bringing that up. Right. Um, now, it is time again to take the break, so we'll do that now. This is Dr. Gordon Anthony, and my guest is Dr. Janine Austin. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio. Please stay with us. We will be back. Want more positivity in your life? Are you ready to get healthy, happy, and energized? Join the Stella Donna Goddess Gals, Cynthia Bryan, and Heather Brittany for a power hour of stimulating, supportive conversation on Star Style. Be the star you are. A lineup of best-selling authors, celebrities, and experts join the effervescent mother-daughter dynamic duo in this upbeat, positive, life-changing talk radio playground. Star Style, Be the Star You Are, Wednesdays, 4 to 5 p.m. Pacific, 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Lend us your ears. It's power time. When you think of inspiring women, who comes to mind? Is it a visionary like Oprah Winfrey? Political or legal figures like Hillary Clinton or Sonia Sotomayor? Or how about entrepreneurial business leaders like Meg Whitman? No matter whom you might be thinking of, make sure to add one more to that list. Deanne DeMarco. She's the host of Today's Inspiring Women. Each week, Deanne turns you on to the next rising star in business and leadership and what their successes and challenges have been. Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific, on Voice America Empowerment. 
Are you taking full advantage of all the lessons that your life is trying to teach you? These lessons are the building blocks of who you are and who you will ultimately become. On Waking Up, Learning What Your Life is Trying to Teach You, host John Earle will show you how to discover your life's lessons and how to use these lessons to transform your life into a deeper and more profound experience. Discover the meaning of your existence. Tune in to Waking Up, Learning What Your Life is Trying to Teach You, Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to Doc. G at FamilyCaregiversUnite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at FamilyCaregiversUnite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week, Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Dr. Janine Austin. Our topic is when and why genetic counseling is essential. Um, Janine, let's now discuss the role of genetic counseling in helping individuals, family and future generations with worrisome family histories. Now, once again, You've covered several of the key mm-hmm. points in those in the previous segment, but I want you to go into more detail because these are so profoundly important things and meaningful things. Um, so developing the answers, I think, is, is, is not just useful. I think it's essential. Mm-hmm. So um, let's discuss role of genetic counseling um, with worrying family Mm -hmm. histories and the first question is please explain in more detail the role of genetic counseling in helping individuals with the challenges that worrisome family genetic histories create for them Mm -hmm. the individuals yeah yeah okay well well i think maybe where i'll pick this up is seeing as we were talking about the situation of cancer a minute ago let's talk about the role of the genetic counselor more specifically in that context first as an example um, so we were just saying about how, you know, there were these three simple questions to ask that, you know, could um, help you figure out whether or not you might be a good candidate for BRCA testing. And it was about having two or more cases of breast or, or ovarian cancer in close relatives, especially if one had a diagnosis before the age of 50 or had cancer in both breasts or someone in the family with breast cancer diagnosis before the age of 50 or ovarian cancer diagnosed at any age. Or last, if there is a known BRCA1 or BRCA2 gene mutation in the family. Um, So for those people, then meeting with a genetic counselor is a really good idea. Better, I would say, quite adamantly actually, than simply finding a doctor to administer the genetic test, any kind of doctor that I mean by that, which is becoming, because, you know, finding a a doctor that can administer the genetic test is becoming easier and easier to do because of heavy marketing to doctors um, by the companies who offer the test. So the reason I think it's good to to meet with a genetic counselor in this sort of situation is because we worry that otherwise there's the potential for people who do not have BRCA mutation to be told that they're off the hook, as it were. In fact, women who do not have a BRCA mutation might still have an elevated risk um, for breast cancer based on nothing other than their family history. So those women should really ideally be followed up regularly with frequent monitoring. And um, so a genetic counselor can really identify those situations and make sure that that's happening for those women. 
Another concern um, of going th about you know going through genetic testing without seeing a genetic counsellor is being unprepared. I think for the flood of of decisions and questions and emotional repercussions that can come with a positive test result. So in terms of what a genetic counsellor's role will be in the context of cancer, first and foremost, he or she or genetic counsellor will help you figure out if getting tested is an appropriate course of action by doing a risk assessment, which will involve doing a detailed family history and talking through, um, you know, who in the family had what kind of cancer and how old they were diagnosed and how they related to you and so on. Um, but also doing things like talking through factors related to your ethnic heritage, because we know, for example, that people of Ashkenazi Jewish heritage um, are more prone to having these kinds of gene mutations. So um, a genetic counselor would spend time with you talking about what a, pe a test result saying that you had one of these mutations, what would that mean for you? And what a negative test result would mean for you? And what impact that might have on your close re relatives? And how a po positive test result might affect your life insurance or health insurance? Um, but the good news is, I think, that, you know, our experience in genetic counseling is that most women who come in uh, tend, do tend to overestimate their risk for cancer. Um, but if you have a close living relative who's been diagnosed with ovarian or breast cancer, the counselor's first suggestion will likely be that your relative should get tested first, if, if it's still possible to do that. Um, because that person, the, the individual who's experienced cancer in your family is the best person to test. Because if the, their test result will serve as a really important piece of information when it comes to analyzing your own results. Because if you think about it, only a, frac a fraction, as we've discussed, only a fraction of breast cancers are related to hereditary BRCA mutations. So if you have a family member who had breast cancer and you're worried about your own chance for the same, but we test you first and there's no, no mutation, that doesn't tell us that you have a normal population risk of developing cancer because we don't know that your relative's cancer was related to the BRCA mutation in the first place. So really a genetic counselor will help figure out how to proceed with testing in the family um, if that's what you want to do. Um, so we'll help you get the best information that we possibly can out of your family history to, and, and help you and support you in making the decisions that are appropriate for yourself. Yeah. And, and right. really it's, yeah, about helping people to, to manage and reduce the anxiety around this sort of thing, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you're mentioning families. Let's it's the same question, the role of genetic counselling in helping families and future generations with the challenges that worrisome family genetic histories create for them. Right. Role of genetic counselling there. Okay, perfect. Yeah. So, so as you said, sorry, I think I got a little bit heavy there, didn't I? I was talking about how genetic counselling can help in, in, um, in families and future generations with the challenges that a worrisome family history of cancer can present. So perhaps I'll talk at least a little bit briefly about how genetic counselling can be helpful to families and future generations in the context of other kinds of conditions, just to give people a flavour. Um, so as I mentioned at the beginning, um, my own work as a genetic counsellor is largely concerned with working with people with mental illness in their families. And one of the things that I come across a lot in this setting is that among the people who have no mental illness themselves but have a worrisome family history, um, in that you know, in that it's full of mental illness, the family history, um, people are often really afraid for themselves and for their own children. Uh, we did a study a number of years ago now where we talked to people who had no mental illness themselves 
but did have a family member who'd experienced schizophrenia or something like that. And we found that a large proportion of these of these um, people with no mental illness actually dramatically overestimated what their chance was for um, their children to have mental illness, and that this influenced their childbearing decisions. So many of them um, had actually chosen to have fewer or no children because they thought the chance for their for their kids to be affected was so high. So, so they really tended to overestimate what the chances might be. So for me, this is a really important, valuable way in which genetic counseling can help people who have worrisome family histories. So genetic counselors can help people to more accurately appraise risks. And, can, and this, this can be really important in influencing these important life decisions, like whether or not to have children. Um, so we find that um, family members and children in particular of people with mental illness um, often feel a sense of fear and doom that comes out of their family history, that they're somehow destined to be ill. Um, and genetic counseling, again, can really help overcome that. We can work with the future generations to talk with them about how research shows that mental illness is a rise as a result of the combined effects of genes and environmental or, if you like, experiential factors acting together. So we, we work with family members to show them how they're not predestined to be sick, even if they have a close affected family member, and what they can do to protect their mental health. So, I mean, in this situation, it, it can again be really powerful, just as powerful as I think it can be in, in the context of a cancer family history. So, and again, I suppose genetic counseling can be really important and useful to families of people who've been diagnosed with conditions like Huntington's disease, which is a, a, a neurodegenerative condition um, that people can have, or Alzheimer's disease, or certain types of cardiovascular disease, eye conditions. So in all of these different kinds of contexts, genetic counselors are there to support family members through understanding whether genetic testing is available to them, working through the decision about whether or not to have it if it's available, and exploring how the test results um, might influence your emotions and your life decisions and so on. Um, yes, I, I guess it's important actually just to briefly mention that genetic test results can have consequences that might sound really strange at first. So for example, we see uh, there's a phenomenon called survivor guilt, and that's something that we see happening a lot. Um, and so what I mean by survivor guilt is um, when one member of a family finds out that they do not have the genetic mutation that causes a particular disease in the family, like Huntingdon's disease or breast and ovarian cancer, though you might expect that getting a test result like that would lead to relief and happiness, in some circumstances, it can also lead people to feeling really guilty and question things like, well, why did I escape this when my sibling was not so fortunate? And um, so genetic counseling can, can really help people to anticipate these kinds of emotions and to manage them if they emerge. Um, so, yeah, it can be really helpful in all sorts of different types of worrisome family history situations, I think. And to put something back to you, which is a, in which I risk oversimplifying, mm. but by, through genetic counselling, sometimes um, the conclusion uh, is not that is somewhat discouraging or requires tough decisions. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, and you've made this very clear, it can also be uh, optimistic and cheerful. That's right. uh, the conclusion from genetic counselling. That's right, isn't it? Absolutely right. So regardless of what somebody's genetic test result comes back as, regardless of whether somebody comes back saying that, yes, you, they have a BRCA mutation or, no, you don't have a BRCA mutation, our role and our goal as genetic counselors is to empower people, regardless of what their test result is. We want them to feel like they know how to 
manage their their condition or their lack of condition going forward. They know, they feel empowered to be able to manage the healthcare system, to make the decisions that they might need to make and so on, and to feel confident in their ability to do that. Right. Now, this is a quick question. Mm. Um, but what, if any, responsibilities do you think that individuals and families for that they have for alerting their descendants to worrisome family genetic histories? And if you do think they have a responsibility, mm-hmm. how would they do it, given mm-hmm. that they may not be alive or it may be the children's children children they're talking about? What's your quick answer to that difficult question? <laughs> I like that. Quick answer to that difficult question. Yeah, so um, so, so obviously there's challenges there um, because the healthcare pro- provider can't share information about testing with relatives of their patient directly because of co- patient confidentiality. But in some situations where there are things that you might be able to do to prevent the illness in question, if people were to have, have the genetic mutation in question, harm might be able to be prevented. So genetic counsellors will try to encourage families to share information um, about their genetic test results that might be helpful for other family members to know. For example, to go back to the breast cancer scenario again, when someone has had testing and they found that they have the BRCA mutation, that clearly has implications for relatives. If the relatives have the same mutation, then they could choose to reduce their chances of developing cancer by having a prophylactic surgery, by having mastectomy like Angelina Jolie, or by having a nephrectomy. So, so this can be really difficult for people to do, though, they're having these conversations with family members. So genetic counsellors will often help by discussing with their patients how to bring it up with their family family members and genetic counsellors will even provide their patient with a letter um, that they can share with their family members that explains the situation, what it might mean for them and what their options are if they want to know how to proceed. I hope that was right. quick enough. <laughs> right. And in a way, and this is just a very quick response to you, uh, the letter like that could be included in the will, so mm-hmm. to speak. Absolutely. Uh, now, I'm, yeah. We've reached the time once more where we do have to take the break, so we'll do that now. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guest is Dr. Janine Austin. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio. Please stay with us. We'll be coming back. Every one of us confronts challenges that rock our world to the core, making us confused and disoriented, not knowing which way is up. On The Mother Rising, host Margaret Jacobson will nourish that spark that enlivens. You will be both empowered and inspired to create the changes leading you on your path to your own true freedom. Discover your worth and what you are capable of. Tune into The Mother Rising every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We all want peace. We all desire a more meaningful life. We work hard to achieve these things, but at what avail? The key is authentic living with Andrea Matthews. Andrea will interview some of the great spiritual experts of today and will provide wisdom to help you raise your consciousness to the level of your own I am. Your authenticity can give you miraculous gifts, but you have to know how to get there. Listen for Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Heard live every Wednesday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the 7th Wave Network. Leadership is a vital skill set in today's competitive global economy. Being a leader is not enough. To succeed, you must optimize your performance and know how to imbue others in your organization with leadership skills. 
Practical, actionable leadership insights are the focus of Leadership Development News, hosted each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, by Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler on the Voice America Business Channel. Doctors Greenberg and Nadler, who coach global leaders on how to be most effective, will share their insights and contacts. The path to leadership excellence begins here. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at familycaregiversunite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week. Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Dr. Janine Austin. Our topic is when and why genetic counseling is essential. Janine, let's talk about what more you would like to do and to see done to promote genetic counseling in helping families, all of them, with worrisome genetic histories. Um, So what about the things that you would like to do to promote genetic counseling for families as a whole? Mm -hmm. Janine? Yeah, so, well, so I'm sure it's probably clear that I feel quite passionately about this, but so it's it's clear to me that genetic counseling can be really helpful for families in a really broad range of um, of different kinds of illness contexts. So, it actually could be quite applicable, I think, to a broad range of the pop- of members of the population, uh, to people with all sorts of different conditions in their families. Um, so in order for pe- more people to be able to benefit from what genetic counsellors have to offer, we need to make sure that people are aware that we exist. So that's why it's such a great opportunity to talk with you today, Gordon, because I get to, I get to tell people a little bit about what it is that we might be able to offer for them. Um, so, so, so personally, one of the things I would like to do is to continue engaging um, with you and with with other situations like this, where I can talk in the media to to, to make sure that people ha- are aware about genetic counsellors and what we can do that might be helpful. Um, so I'm working hard here in my local area with that sort of thing in mind. Um, so um, the last week has been very exciting in terms of the press coverage of our um, genetic counselling service that we've established here for people with psychiatric disorders and their families. Um, and also, so so as you know. We talked at the beginning of the show how I'm based in Canada, and in Canada there's a there's a the Canadian Association of Genetic Counselors, and they actually have an annual Genetic Counseling Awareness Week, which is pretty cool. It happens in November, and um, so for that week in November, um, genetic counselors all over the country work really hard to try and um, put on events in their local areas, and um, you know engage with the media and try and increase awareness about who we are and what it is that we do. Um, so. Yeah, so I'm deeply engaged with with um, the work of my professional society, the National Society of Genetic Counselors, which is the U.S.-based organization, and um, they're, they're really pushing very hard to increase the profile of genetic counselors there, too. So I, I'm just really excited to continue engaging with that kind of work, I suppose, yeah. Right. Now, what more would you like to see done, and by whom, to promote genetic counseling? Jenny? <laughs> 
this is a lovely question. Thank you, Gordon. Um, so I'd like to appeal to, well, you've retired from, from practice as a physician, but I'd like to appeal to your colleagues, I guess. Um, so I'd like to see more physicians suggesting genetic counselling as an option to their patients when a worrisome family history pops up. Um, I think genetic counsellors in general, to speak for my entire profession, of course, um, genetic counsellors in general are really keen to establish collaborative relationships with physicians in all areas of practice um, to work together to produce the best, the best possible outcomes for their patients. So, um, so really, I'd like to uh, um, encourage physicians to reach out to us, um, genetic counsellors. We'd love to find ways to work with you. And also appeal, you know, the converse, I'd like to appeal to genetic counsellors to work to actively reach out to physicians in your area. Um, I, I really do think that genetic counsellors have skills that can be beautifully complementary to those of a physician. And I mean, just for example, because physicians often have such limited time to spend with each patient just because of constraints of our system, um, a genetic counsellor on the team is a fantastic way of meeting patient needs and optimising outcomes in a, in a way that could be really cost effective, I think. Quick, two quick questions, yeah. um, practical questions. More and more doctors are working in groups. Yeah. And would you therefore see a genetic counsellor attached to one of those doctor, doctors' groups? And that's part one of the question. Mm -hmm. And part two is, is genetic counselling just a one session mm -hmm. uh, intervention or does it re involve repeated meetings mm -hmm. with the genetic counsellor? Janine? Beautiful. Right. So um, the first question you asked was, you know, doctors increasingly working in groups and do I, would I see a role for genetic counsellors interacting with those kinds of groups? And, and my short and very excited, enthusiastic answer would be yes, absolutely. I think that's a perfect kind of environment for a genetic counsellor to be integrated into, into that clinical team. Um, so yes, absolutely. That was perfect scenario for it, I think. And then the second question was about, sorry, could you refresh my memory? Yes. Is it repeat? Is it do you do it all in one session, right, one consultation, you. or do you have several is basically the question. Got it. Um, so, so, yeah, that, that's a really good question. And, and that actually, it, the answer to that is simply, it depends, I suppose. Um, so... Um, in some context, for example, um, in the context of Huntingdon's disease, where we are providing genetic counselling for an individual um, related to um, their having genetic testing to predict whether or not they might develop this, you know, um, debilitating neurodegenerative condition, then there's actually a, a sort of a, a standard protocol for how that counselling unfolds, and it typically involves three genetic counselling sessions, although there can be more, of course, if, if the patient in question would like. Um, in other situations, then sometimes genetic counselling tends to be more of a, a one-off kind of deal. Um, but I would say that for the most part, there's a lot of flexibility there. So if um, if you come in for a meeting with a genetic counsellor and you, you cover a lot of the topics related to cause of illness and you start with the, the emotional processing of that information and so on, but you feel there's more work to be done and you'd like to come back in, that's, that's absolutely an option for you. Um, similarly, if you come in to talk about one thing, for example, um, lots of genetic counsellors do work with um, in the context of pregnancy. Um, so genetic counsellors often get women referred who have had a prenatal test that tells them that the baby they're carrying has an increased chance of having some kind of genetic condition like Down syndrome. So the genetic counsellor in that situation would be helping the couple to understand what that test result means and um, how they feel about it and so on. Um, 
but but perhaps when they take a family history from that couple, they also discover that there are a number of people in the family who have breast cancer. And so right. the genetic counselor might suggest, well, you know, if this is, you know, further on down the line when you're, when you've figured out what you want to do here and you'd like to come back in to talk about the cancer in the family, then absolutely we can do that. Right. So, yeah. Janine, I'm only interrupting you rudely to, because we're going to run out of time and I have oh. another important question okay. for you. They're all important in this way for you. What's your message for people who believe that they have a worrisome family genetic history? What's your message for them now? My key Janine? message is there is no need to worry alone that a genetic counsellor is there to help you and that you can find a genetic counsellor in your area using the Find a Genetic Counsellor function on the website of the National Society of Genetic Counsellors. You can find that at www.nsgc.org. Um, yeah, that's my message, I think. Right. And what it comes back to is this is a service that is important for dealing with worrisome histories and the outcome may be a need for further investigation or it may be reassuring but either way it's important uh, that families who are worried look into receiving genetic counselling. That's my summary back to you. I, you don't, <laughs> I, I'm going to take it that you agree with that, do you? Yes, I do. Yes, thank you. All right. Okay. Now, we're coming to the end, unfortunately, so I want to say thank you to Janine for sharing with us all your experience, your insights, and your advice, your enthusiasm, your caring, and the success that you're enjoying. Long may it be because you're vital, you're necessary, and so are all your colleagues, and so is your association, and so is everything you do. Um, and if I can help you um, promote it using internet radio, as we're doing now, I'd be more than happy to do that. I want to say thank you to our listeners. We'd like to hear your comments on this episode. And from our listeners, I'd like to hear about ideas for topics, or if you're interested in being a guest on the show. Our next episode will be mental health care for mental illness that endangers lives of others. Please join us. Same time, same spot on the internet. Speak with you then. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again twice every week, Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until the next show, we hope our programs help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.